Have you ever wondered why anyone drinks Malort? Or if there are actually lobsters in the Chicago River? Then listen to the Curious City podcast, where we answer all your questions about Chicago and the region. WBEZ's Curious City is part of the NPR network and available wherever you find your podcasts. What's up, Chicago? I'm Erin Allen, and this is The Rundown. The first time I moved to Chicago was 13 years ago. I moved directly into a housing cooperative called Stone Soup, which at the time was the largest housing co-op of its kind in the city. The focus of the community was social justice and joy. You had to demonstrate that you were committed to social justice in some way in order to live there. And the co-op had all kinds of members. By 2010, after I had already studied at a whole liberal arts university, Stone Soup was the most diverse space I had ever been in. In terms of class, nationality, citizenship status, and most definitely in terms of sexuality and gender identity. Before Stone Soup, I had never been asked to refer to somebody with pronouns other than she or he. Being exposed to queer folks in a space that was imperfect, but constantly working to support people on the margins, it forced me to reckon with my own sexuality. I didn't come out until I'd already moved out of Stone Soup, but it ended up being a space where I could see how to live openly and be supported and seen, and how to be an ally to folks I didn't identify with, though I was queer myself. Because LGBTQI, there's more than just one way to be queer. I have never experienced a vibrancy and a like an electricity in a queer community like I have in Chicago. I think there's so much like political agency and political power here in Chicago mm-hmm. and there's so much potential for, you know, that radical inclusivity that we've talked about. That's Adam Rhodes. They're a training director at Investigative Reporters and Editors. They're also a former reporter at the Chicago Reader who has covered the LGBTQ plus community for many years. And on this last day of Pride Month, it can feel kind of like I ended up feeling when I moved out of Stone Soup. What do I do now to find my people? Well, there are plenty of places and spaces in the city. They're on the south side. They're in the suburbs. Believe it or not, queer love actually is all around us. We're going to talk about all of that. But first, I wanted to get into some LGBTQ plus history in Chicago starting with one of the city's most historic, but also controversial spaces where queer folks have found community, North Halstead, formerly known as Boys Town. Before there was North Halstead slash Boys Town in the city, there were queer affirming spaces in, you know, the South Side, South Shore, uh, Bronzeville, The Loop, all of those places. And that was in like the, the anywhere from like the 30s to the 60s. Okay. Uh, and I think historically, that was a time when it was actually illegal to be gay. You couldn't walk around, like trans people couldn't walk around living as their gender because there were laws that criminalized that. Um, Bars actually wouldn't exclusively cater to the LGBTQ plus population Mm -hmm. out of fear of being shut down. A lot of uh, queer friendly institutions were mob owned because the mob was in bed with the police to prevent the raids and the police brutality that actually, you know, led to the wow. Stonewall, uh, the Stonewall uprising. Yeah. That was a big reason that um, the Stonewall in in New York City had existed and survived for so long because it's it was mob owned. But then when the police raided and queer people started fighting back, that's kind of the 
relationship that a lot of uh, bars, even in Chicago, had uh, with the public that like they had to pay off the police not to get raided. Wow. And uh, Tracy Bame, who is the uh, formerly the publisher at The Reader, you know, she started the Windy City Times, okay. historic uh, LGBTQ plus historian and journalist herself. She's uh, said that the North Hallside community kind of came about as a result of gentrification in the the loop and in the kind of like lower north side that it pushed both businesses and patrons up to the Lakeview area. And um, the name Boys Town, as we know, it actually came out of a column run by a journalist slash reporter in Outlines. And that was the moniker that was kind of unofficially given um, to the neighborhood. And uh, I think it's really interesting that like even then the moniker Boys Town came with a lot of pushback because they were saying like, but it's not just for boys. Like there are queer women and queer people who don't identify as men and women exist. And so, yeah, that's where we're at now. (laughs) Yeah. Um, thank you for that. Can you talk about that publication um, that had that column, Boys Town? Yeah, Outlines. I think Outlines uh, really existed in a time where that was the only way that queer people got information about our community. The you know the Windy City Times, Outlines. Those are the places we looked for, uh, not just like the entertainment, like which bar has a good special or which bar um, is having like a drag show. But those are the places we looked to see like has the human rights ordinance in Chicago passed? Um, you know, like how can we um, protect mm-hmm. ourselves against the HIV AIDS crisis because that's when I think these publications became especially crucial. Um, how can queer people uh, flex our political power mm-hmm. is, uh, I think, probably the most important thing that these organizations and these publications did was that, like, just abjectly catered to the queer community because, as, you know, I think we know now, the news industry still doesn't. Um, you yeah. know, there there are queer verticals in some publications, but by and large, the publications that cover queer issues the best are just queer serving institutions. Hmm. As a person who writes about queer issues yourself, um, you wrote about a racial reckoning mm-hmm. in Boys Town in 2020. And that coincided with attempts to change the neighborhood's name as mm-hmm. well. What happened there? So, uh, as with many, many communities after the murder of George Floyd, a lot of communities looked inward to see, like, what uh, demographics are we predominantly serving? What demographics do we cater to the most? Um, and the Chicago Black Drag Council, which at the time, and I believe is still led by uh, Lucy Stuhl and Joe Mama, two incredible drag performers in the city. And they essentially took the North Halstead uh, community rightfully to task. I believe that uh, it's been a long time coming, that there's a lot of conversations that have uh, been needed to have. So it is uh, probably the most appropriate time right now to just uh, go ahead and uh, get that stuff out of the way and start having those um, talks. So, uh, For the fact that, you know, most of the queens, most of the uh, bar owners, most of the patrons are cisgender white queer people. The goal tonight is to hear from members of the community who have been harmed and to review the demands that will... Black lives matter! Black lives matter! In a city where, you know, a third of the population is black, it's one of the most, if not the most segregated city in the country, they rightfully said that that was unacceptable. Mm. Um, And it, I think, is not coincidental that the same uh, bars and institutions that were the subject of this scrutiny from black and brown performers are also the business leaders in the community. Mm-hmm. A lot of the bar owners are uh, on the board of the North Halsa Business Alliance, 
which, you know, is an arbiter of a lot of the um, policy and business decisions that happen in the community and was kind of where the buck stopped in terms of renaming the community to North Halstead versus Boys Town. The petition asks the North Halstead Business Alliance to stop promoting Boys Town in the neighborhood. Somewhat of a symbolic change underway in one of Chicago's most vibrant neighborhoods. The word Boys Town, it's gendered. And to them, that nickname for this area, right where I'm standing along Halstead, is transphobic and it's sexist. And so a lot of the scrutiny kind of was levied on the same people from multiple fronts, both that, you know, they're not catering or not being inclusive to black and brown people in the community. And they're also really only serving white cisgender gay men. What are some of the things that community leaders have done to make the area more inclusive? I really think it is just like that sustained pressure that like not letting people get away with it anymore. Uh, You know, the wheel of progress turns slowly. So unfortunately, things aren't going to change quickly. But I think we live in an era where we can't go back where we were before. We cannot go back to all white spaces, all cisgender spaces, especially mm-hmm. especially queer spaces. You know, like black and brown trans people are probably, are actually the most criminalized right now. They have mm-hmm. the most to lose. They are the most vulnerable among us. And I think, uh, you know, especially in the world that we live in, you know, hundreds of anti-trans and anti-queer bills have been introduced across the country. I think both the murder of George Floyd and the racial reckoning that came about that and where we're at politically have really served as a massive wake up call to people that, you know, they, again, like they might not be changing things overnight, but the environment of these spaces is very, very different. Even if, even just as a patron, you know, when I have gone to Boys Town, I see more people that look like they're from my background. I see more Latino people. I see more black and brown people. I see more queer and trans Mm. and non-binary people, even if that might not, be reflective in like the bar owners and the bar leadership you know the patrons are taking up space you know whether leaders like it or not kind of yeah it's really complex to think about i mean i think about that myself a lot of people who are identifying as members of the lgbtq plus community they may go out and try to find community or they may not and always Mm -hmm. think about like what are the reasons for that if they don't, right? Is it because it doesn't feel inclusive or are they just like homebodies or, you know, are they saying that they're homebodies because, you know, they're uncomfortable, (laughs) you know, going out? Um, Yeah, it's really interesting. Yeah, totally. I think like, Definitely, like, I love that it's like, are they going out because they just don't want to go out? Or is that like the kind of excuse that they tell themselves? Yeah. And it's like, ah, oh, yeah, I don't want to go to sidetrack because I don't like sidetrack. Or has sidetrack not been friendly yes. to you? Um, not to pick out sidetrack. That was just the first one I thought of. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that's a, that's a great point. Let's get into some of the other communities and spaces across the city where queer folks are finding and making that community. Um, There are a few service-based organizations around Chicago. I mean, you already talked about um, the Chicago Black Drag Council. Um, If you could get a little bit more into that and some of the other community service-based organizations that are really creating that space. Yeah, totally. So the Chicago Black Drag Council is exactly what it sounds like. It is a council and organization organization. led and serving um, black and brown drag performers here in the city. You know, they advocate for better working conditions, better pay. I kind of think of them as like an unofficial labor union for Mm. the black and brown drag performers in the city. Um, There's also the Brave Space Alliance on the South Side, which is the city's black and trans-like community center. But then there's also kind of informal organizations. There's like Reunion Chicago. There's um, the labor unions at 
Brave Space Alliance, Howard Brown Health, Berlin Nightclub. And I kind of see those as uh, kind of queer community spaces as well. We've talked a little bit on the show about some of those kind of like pop-up spaces, Mm -hmm. um, kind of traveling venues. um, And then there's the actual brick-and-mortar venues that you come across as well. Um, I'd love to hear about some of those that you um, have come across. Yeah, I think you can't talk about um, black queer spaces in Chicago without talking about uh, Jeffrey's Pub on the south side. It is the country's oldest black queer bar in the country. Um, It's 60-plus years old. You know, it has served as a lifeline for the black queer community for decades um, and it is unlike any other space that you'll find in the city. There's Club Crave on the south side as well. There's Club Escape. So there are a lot of those options for people who either don't want to or can't access the um, north side queer community. But outside of North Halstead, you know, Andersonville is also um, a very, very queer enclave. I like to say that um, North Halstead kind of caters to the younger queer crowd. Mm. And then uh, Andersonville is for the queer crowd with like a 401k. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like that's where like the adult, you know, they, right. Yes. Gamefully <laughs> employ, like have stable jobs, uh-huh. have like vacation time in PTO and all of that fun stuff. <laughs> um, but then in Andersonville, there are actually a lot of really, really uh, inclusive queer spaces as well. You know, Nobody's Darling, which is one of the country's only lesbian bars, mm. is in uh, the Andersonville area. It is also owned and operated by two incredible uh, black queer women. And so obviously that impacts uh, the space and who it serves. Um, I think in Rogers, I don't know if it's on like Rogers Park or right on that Edgewater line, but it's uh, Whiskey Girl Tavern is also one of the city's only and one of the country's only lesbian bars. So there are a lot of spaces mm. kind of that are growing outside of the North Hallside community that I love. Yeah. And talking about these spaces, we're talking a lot about safety. And there was a hit and run outside of Jeffrey Pub last summer. As you mentioned, we've seen countless anti-LGBTQ plus bills this year. How do you see queer spaces reckoning with safety and anti-LGBTQ sentiment? It's so tough because I think everyone's relationship to that is different. Um, I've seen some queer spaces where we're just like, no, we're going to hang pride flags. We're going to hang like the progress pride flag, we're going to hang the trans pride flag, and we're not going to let people even think that they're winning. Um, but then I've seen some places where I'm just like, they've hired security or they've, you know, blackened windows, kind of hearkening back to the early days of these establishments when, like, the the blackened windows you see in a lot of queer institutions are because they, people didn't want to be seen. People, mm-hmm. it was illegal yes. to be in these spaces. And so, the like, the dark windows that you see in a lot of spaces are an act of security and safety themselves. And Absolutely. I've seen some institutions kind of go back to that, which is mm. terrifying, but in some ways a very necessary. Uh, I think there are di- a lot of different ways places are reckoning with this, but there hasn't been a single institution I've seen that hasn't had to handle this in some way, mm-hmm. um, whether it is, you know, like actually just not having drag shows anymore or um, just being as uh, visible as they possibly can. Yeah. And obviously, I think that comes with a ton of privilege, like the decision to, you know, it's like, no, I'm just going to stand in my queerness and like shove it in people's faces, for lack of a better phrase. Mm-hmm. You know, that is an option that isn't afforded to everybody. Yeah. You know, the people who can't uh, either monetarily or physically kind of reckon with that, I think, is also part of the conversation. Mm-hmm. Looking back, um, you've been in Chicago for how long? Since 2019. Okay. Yeah. When you got here, mm-hmm. how did you find queer spaces in queer community? 
Yeah, you know, I think like every encore person that comes to Chicago for the first time, I definitely was like, okay, I have to go to Boys Town. Let's see what it's like. <laughs> um, and, you know, I, I did have fun. I really enjoyed Sidetrack. I really enjoyed Progress Bar, like all of the bars that you see, all of the popular bars. But, you know, I will be honest that I did notice that very stunning kind of lack of diversity. Yeah. And, you know, I am uh, my mother is a Cuban refugee. So, like, I have a lot of um, connection, obviously, to like black and brown spaces versus like mostly white and cisgender spaces. I'm non-binary. So I seek a lot of um, trans representation in the spaces that I uh, Mm -hmm. seek out as well. And I didn't see that in North Halstead. Um, It has, obviously, as we talked about, improved. But when I first came to Chicago and I noticed that I specifically tried to find places outside of North Halstead, that's when I started going to Andersonville more. That's kind of why I go to Andersonville a lot more. I see a lot more people like me in Andersonville. So Did you... How did you know? I mean, like, did you ask around? Mm-hmm. Like, did you just come upon by, you know, being your own curious self? Like, how did you actually find out about that? I think, you know, it flexed those journalism muscles. I just like went <laughs> online and was like, where are these places? As opposed to like a Google search. I think I actually did use like a LexisNexis search to like find queer places. So like, okay. um, I I really uh, did, frankly, as much research as possible to be like, what is the like, I kind of did like a mini census just for myself. Like, what are these spaces like? Where do I find them? And like, who do they serve the most? Yeah. Does that yeah. make sense? Yeah. I've been really trying to find a, a voguing class. Oh, my God. Please <laughs> tell me when you find it. Yeah, I, I will. I I mean, you know, as a, as a like black queer person myself, you know, I do have trouble when I think about that of just like, okay. I'm I'm here now. I know from ten years ago when I was here, with the, what spaces um, were there? But yeah. you know, like w- what is happening now, and and um, you know, how do I find it? And I haven't naturally come across right like a voguing space, mm-hmm. um, you know. And I think for people who are not journalists, right, who don't have that muscle to flex, yeah, what totally. would you say um, to folks listening who haven't quite found spaces like that that are right for them? Yeah, I think you know. Um, Frankly, they're as terrible as the internet can be. Like, finding those digital spaces can be really, really important. You know, like, finding, like, going on, like, gay Twitter and being like, where are these spaces? I think that's where I really, really found a lot of the – when people were talking about which spaces are the Mm -hmm. best, when these community conversations come up on, like, social media or in, like, forums or on Facebook or whatever, I kind of, like, see the spaces that they're calling out as, like, oh, this place, like, might not be inclusive or this place is inclusive. And I, like, that kind of, like, triggers my radar to, like, okay, that might be a place to look at or a place not to go to. Yeah. If that makes sense. Okay. Using those kind of informal whisper networks, Mm -hmm. I think, a lot of the time that, like, we're used to accessing because, like, I was like, oh, is that place for us? No, it's not for us. Like, what's that place like? What's that place like? So kind of engaging in it from, like, multiple fronts, I usually think, is what it takes, unfortunately. Yeah. Tell me tell me more about some of that informal kind of whisper that you're talking about. I'm really curious about how that feels for you and where that lives in your life. Yeah, totally. I think uh, those whisper networks, I think, um, are a part of my everyday life, to be honest. I think as queer people, we always have to rely on each other to give us, like, the real team. And, like, is this place really for us? Are they just hanging a pride flag, like, to be like, ah, yes, rubber stamp of inclusivity? Or are they really for people like us? I oftentimes find, like, some of the most basic questions I ask are, like, do they have a gender-neutral bathroom? Mm -hmm. I think can be a good litmus test. Or, you know, are there black and brown people working there? Are there black and brown managers um, and uh, those whisper yeah. networks can just be like a person you follow on Twitter who is very opinionated and doesn't mm-hmm. hold their tongue, or it can be like those text threads that we all have with like our uh, the people in our community. But you know, I access and utilize those whisper networks again in every aspect of my life. Am I going to go to this restaurant or this bar or this store? Um, and I think those can be crucial and uh, both life saving and life affirming for people like us. Yeah, definitely. 
Anything else, Adam, that you would want to say about queer community in the city? Yeah, totally. I think um, I have never experienced a vibrancy and a like an electricity in a queer community like I have in Chicago. I think there's so much like political agency and political power here in Chicago, mm-hmm. and there's so much potential for you know that radical inclusivity that we've talked about. Mm. And you know, it is a particularly difficult time to be queer right now. I think um, we're all seeing horrifying rhetoric, both online and in person. We're seeing. Um, what feels like unrelenting violence against our communities. But I think there's also space to recognize when people are doing it well. Um, I think we all saw when J.B. Pritzker caught the jello shot at Pride. Um, but, you know, I think giving credit where credit is due, like J.B. Pritzker has cemented Illinois as a haven for trans-affirming care. Mm. He uh, repealed um, outdated racist and homophobic laws that criminalized the exposure of HIV. He has passed legislation that will let uh, spouses select gender-neutral uh, marriage certificates. So, like, there's a lot that J.B. Pritzker is doing to create queer havens and queer safety in Illinois. Um, and I think that is something that keeps me hopeful about where we're at right now, that there is possibility for good right now. Yeah. And that some people are doing it well. Adam Rhodes is a training director at Investigative Reporters and Editors. Adam, thank you. Of course, of course. Thank you. For a list of the organizations and spaces Adam talked about, you can check out the show notes in the description of this episode. And that's it for today. Thank you to Justin Bull and Sarah Stark for producing The Rundown and to Ariel Van Clee for editing the show. Sarah was also the engineer for this episode. Our theme music is by Louis Weeks. And we love hearing from you. Where do you go for queer community in the city? Email us with your thoughts, any questions you have, and what you want to hear on The Rundown. You can email us at therundownpod at wbez.org. I'm Erin Allen. Thank you for listening. Have a great weekend, and I'll talk to you on Monday. Yeah. I'm tired of like being like somebody being like, oh, look, a diverse person is here. <laughs> a and, like, it's like that word. Also. Oh, my God.